When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. D&D Indeed, the Dinner Party Role-Playing Podcast. I'm your host and Dungeon Master James Gressel, and with me today is fun person Joel Arnold. Just one. Just me. But we're both, there, there are two. We're both fun. We're both fun, I suppose. Uh, but this is the first in this series that we are calling, what did I call it? It's Table for Two. Table for Two. We are at the usual table, and there are only two of us. D&D Indeed, Table for Two. We're going to talk all about Juno today. So thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to say off the top, um, full disclosure, this is the second time that we recorded this conversation. I feel like we should we should be honest with the listeners uh, because we recorded it uh, the other day and then I got up to get something that we needed to finish the episode and I pulled the cord out of the recorder and it didn't save the file and we lost everything. So full it, disclosure. Yeah. Hey, it's it's good to be honest and authentic because if we didn't then there would have been an air of us trying to pretend and recreate yeah, it and now exactly we're honest with them maybe we can connect to this new moment also it was tragic because we recorded monday yes the D and D and yes and due to a completely different technical different technical issue, issue on our on a new recorder we're using our old one that is not ideal for some uses but we want to be safe. Uh, that one we lost too. So it, it's been a hard week. I know for you, Russell. Yes, it has been a it has been a less than ideal technical week for me. Uh, but we're here today. We're going to have this conversation, and we're going to get it out to you, the listeners. Um, and and you know, I I don't I don't really mind it because like it was fun to talk about Juno that much. Uh, and it was fun to kind of dive into one character. So we're going to do our best to go over that again. Yeah, I had a good time. Yeah, I did not mind. We will try and give you as good a conversation. Whatever. It'll it's, be good. It's not going to be canned. Yeah, no. I didn't write down my questions. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you're, you're a trained interviewer. Yeah, you got to no. do this. We're going <laughs> to... That's true. I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, How many Emmys? Three. Yeah. Michigan Emmys. Yeah. Not real Emmys. They're kind of real. They're smaller. They're real enough. <laughs> They're smaller. Um, but uh, but yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about Juno. We're gonna get in depth. Um, just so that you guys know, kind of what we're gonna do here. We're gonna talk a little bit about where Juno is now at the end of season one, uh, and kind of where he was at the beginning of the journey, where he is now. Uh, what Joel wants for Juno going forward. Uh, and then we're going to do some actual like nuts and bolts character sheet maintenance, which is something that we've never done on air uh, on the show. So you guys are going to hear a little bit more of the like actual math numbers stuff of D&D. If you're new to the game or don't play the game or haven't played the game before, 
Uh, we're going to get into some more actual like gameplay type stuff towards the end of this episode. But in the meantime, we're going to have a more kind of like character discussion, more narrative story based discussion uh, about the character of Juno Greenpoint. So let's get right into that with uh, where's Juno at? Like, how does Juno feel uh, at the end of season one? So where we left off is and where we'll pick back up for season two is the bone dice were rolled inside the beacon at the Grove of the Rock uh, after you guys have kind of completed your first big quest. Uh, You were tasked with saving this beacon. And for all intents and purposes, you did. Uh, And the beacon was reactivated. And you were inside this sacred chamber. And then Flack rolled the bone dice. And you were pulled into a portal. So that's where we left off. So... Where's Juno now? Where where does Juno, uh, in relation to where he started, uh, how how is he feeling? Kind of going into season two, I think he's been for better and worse navigating being with a group of people again after being independent for so long, uh, for about fifteen years since he lost his family. It's been just him on a pretty single-minded mission of vengeance for one part and against specifically orcs but also anyone who seeks to oppress the weak and defenseless and to then protect those people so i think he's had to adjust to what a team what comes with a team which is different personalities different ways of doing things different ways of seeing the world and i think He's struggled with that, but ultimately I think he is seeing the value of it. And he's developed some relationships with the people on his team, some closer than others. And I think that depending on what the team wants to do next, he, and because I want to keep the story going, (laughs) and that requires Juno to be with the group, uh, he's going to be with the group. But I think he's going to be thinking about, okay, what do I want? How do I want to contribute to the world? Maybe that's going to be different than what it was before with just like killing and violence and vengeance, like righteous, but maybe he can do it in a different way. Maybe he can draw uh, like strength from the people around him. Yeah. uh, I think that Juno had one of the more dramatic character arcs of season one. Uh, When we met Juno, He was very much a kind of archetypal loner ranger type. And I think that that's uh, one of the things that drew you to the class in the first place, right? Um, We'll talk about that in a second, but I just want to lay out for the people who may not know. um, The ranger class in Dungeons and Dragons is a little bit different than the kind of like Aragorn archetype uh, that I think that you and Mike having little Dungeons and Dragons Uh experience we're expecting out of the out of the ranger um it's no secret in the kind of D&D community that the ranger is not the strongest class from a from a gameplay perspective uh as far as special abilities and combat and things like that go um but you guys made a role playing decision and a character decision 
without really <laughs> as far as i can tell without really looking at anything no in the in the player's handbook or in any of the unearthed arcana stuff that i sent you guys before no. we started playing no i made a choice based on character yeah the kind of person i wanted to play yes and i thought what class would that be aragorn was a fantastic inspiration because i was like i'll be aragorn but yeah. what's my twist on it well he won't look like vigo mortensen he'll look like paul rudd <laughs> with a mustache and he will have a tragic backstory but also be funny in some way and go from there but i didn't i did no research into what kind of spells do i want what kind of fighting style or mm-hmm kind of uh, abilities do I want as a player I took it entirely entirely from a character perspective and and did no research into like what which classes are good at stuff so it was a surprise to find out later that like oh ranger's not so good yeah but but I I think that that's created a lot of great storytelling stuff in the show um I know uh we a friend of ours uh who has a lot more D&D experience than you and Mike for sure uh gives me endless shit for having two rangers in the party um but i didn't want to hamstring you guys you guys made a decision of what kind of character you wanted to play and and i who am i to tell you no that's dumb that we have two rangers in the party we got to balance the party i wanted you guys to play the characters that you wanted to play to have fun with the characters that you created uh and i really like that you came at it from a character perspective i think that that was a really uh interesting approach and maybe not the way that a lot of people approach making a D&D character. Uh, you mentioned Aragorn and the the backstory and the other reasons why you picked a ranger. Uh, talk a little bit more about kind of how Juno came to be. From those early inspirations, how did you get to Juno Greenpoint? Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, like 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 yeah. the cows and stuff. Like where did where did some of the defining characteristics of Juno come yeah, from? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, I so yeah, I had Aragorn as a type in my head, but I knew I wanted to put a spin on it. I think I was thinking a lot about Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, who was not my favorite, but I like what he is about, and I had in my mind, okay, I want to play against type. I want to do something where, naturally, I'm not very dry, but maybe I could find a way for a character to be dry, or at least there would be a contrast that would create humor between maybe the he had this dark past and he would reference it, but it'd be very matter of fact. And that would be funny. So I wanted to be funny, but also do something different. That would be, I think unexpected from whatever type as a performer I had. And then when I went from there, I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe he's from a very pastoral place. And I, my one time I've been to Europe was in uh, college for a summer study abroad in Italy. We, Uh, My family hosted an exchange student from Italy when I was in high school, and I went and visited him where his hometown is in the north of Italy uh, after the program was over, and I took a bunch of photos of cows at the time. So things just started falling into place where I was thinking, like, I don't know. I think it'd be, I think I want this, like, guy to have layers, and it was fun for me to just keep building layers, and I think the journey partially for other people was other characters was to get to know the layers like, okay, this is a ranger type, but he also likes milk a lot. And he has these very specific things that are revealed. So I think it was a process too, for the audience to get to know these things. And to me, they seem very natural that they would go together, but I was just trying to think all about 
his life and be as specific as possible. And when I was thinking about when I was thinking about what would drive him now, I really wanted to make sure he wasn't just an archetype of a ranger. I wanted to know what his family like mm-hmm. was like, or his family life was like before that. And I just had a really good time imagining this. Like he lives next to a place called the Milk Bucket Mountains, mm-hmm. and his wife worked with leather. I think I mentioned that. Yeah, that's come yeah. up. Yeah, uh, we'll get into that a little later. Yeah. So I don't. And in retrospect now, I can see him being all about dairy is like a way for me to, because I'm lactose intolerant, to be like, yes, I can have all the cheese. My life's all about cheese. (laughs) And also, I think that his point of view is so black and white in the beginning that that's something like perfectionism, which like everything's good or everything's bad. That's something that I kind of struggle with. So I think in retrospect, I created a character who had an even starker point of view as a way to like see this guy grow and through that be more okay with sort of the grays of the world and be more accepting of things that are not perfect. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about that because we we've yeah. had some people um, we've had some people email us about you know how their Dungeons and Dragons games have have helped them through things mm. or listening to ours has helped them through things. Um, and you know, you can talk about as much or as little as you want, but, um, you've, you've mentioned to me off mic and in our, in our deleted session, uh, how kind of playing this character has kind of helped you deal with some stuff or, or, or work through some things. Can tell me a little bit about that, about tell the listeners, I guess, a little bit about, that stark worldview for Juno, uh, how it started out and how it kind of ended where he's being challenged with that and how that's kind of, you know, been an extension a little bit of you, Joel, into Juno or vice versa. Yeah. So the intention, like I said, was to create someone who was different than me, but I have, yeah, I'm very, I have a lot of affection for him now and the journey he's gone on. I think it's no surprise that people maybe didn't like him at first listeners and hopefully more people like him now which is something that i expected because i was worried for a while i was like oh man these they're not gonna like him like i think the other characters didn't like juno in the beginning which is fair because he did a lot of moves that as storytelling choices turned out to be fun but he rubbed friends and enemies the wrong way but but some of that stuff in defense of Juno, yeah. some of that stuff was choices you made. Yeah. Uh, oh, obviously <laughs> yeah. that was that was Nils and 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 the arm thing was a choice. And even if it was not a conscious choice, you said the words out loud, and oh, that was yeah. the thing. Um, but some of it was just random rolls. You just happen to be the first one to roll a one, uh, and that set the tone, I think, for Juno throughout the first half of the season. And that just happened to be a complete random literal roll of the dice. And then the choices kind of supported this narrative that randomness created. Uh, so in defense of Juno, mm. some of that was random. Um, but then but then your your choices supported that randomness and, and led to a lot of that early conflict. But I think that con- as the arbiter of this story, that conflict was really important to the storytelling of the first half and really important to the journeys that these characters made, uh, especially uh, Juno and Margarine, I think, uh, their relationship and how they kind of came together. 
and and just the the overall kind of cohesion of the team having this you know one member of the party who makes these wonky decisions and then you also made the decision to go off on your own and <laughs> again not intentionally yeah just not just didn't communicate the intention of like Mar- margarine come with me yeah uh so i think that that created a lot of really excellent story even if it wasn't the most uh pleasing i guess people pleasing kind of yeah which i think is is something that generally i am conscious of as as a human in the world so it was a little stressful in the beginning to want to be consistent with this character and as a performer improviser i was making choices because i wanted to say yes to my friends and Mm -hmm. yes to the story but i was also trying to make choices within the constraints of this kind of hard-nosed, very like morally strict character who had his own very strict code. And I think negotiating how much he could give on certain things and how much he wanted to compromise to be a part of a group and what the benefits of that might be were interesting to see, especially with making friends with Marjorie and seeing the good that he could do with other people. I think I, of course, wanted to keep playing, but I liked that I could take a moment and probably I'll take a moment once we come back in season two because the group will have completed this mission and where do we go from here will be a question. And I think that was a question once we'd gotten everyone tonight's pass. Mm -hmm. And then I found a reason where he could see the benefits of being on a team for greater effect on his mission. And now I think it's more an emotional one. I think he sees the value of being around other people and I think feels connected to other people in a way that he hasn't in a very long time. And maybe the uh, kind of emptiness that he felt before that we saw in the painting of the flames in the darkness (laughs) uh, is not as present or doesn't matter as much. Oh, and the name, I think I just like the name Juno and Greenpoint is the name of a neighborhood in Brooklyn where on my first night in New York, I got nearly mugged, mm-hmm. got like hit in the head and now I'm just like, it's mine I think if you now. got hit in the head, you got mugged. Well, is it mugging if they don't take your stuff? I think when you got hit in the head, it's a mugging. Well, it's at least assault. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can call it a mugging. No one's going to bust your balls like they didn't take your shit. I know. I It's always like I want to be very specific because I'm like, I kept my stuff, but now I wish I would have just given it over. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, it was a split second <laughs> adrenaline decision. No, I, I, I oh, don't no. envy yeah, you yeah. at all for being in that position. Um, but yeah, I, Juno Greenpoint, excellent fantasy name. Uh, I so is so. I just want to defend because one thing we talked about on Monday in the last episode that who knows if we'll say it again, but we're talking about Fletch and Flack and redoing that and how we might go with Stormy from now on. But like Fletch Stormtail, great, also great name for a ranger. That, that's absolutely true. And Stormtail is such a good like Fletch Stormtail is such a good name that I changed like the whole naming convention for Wood Elves in my world Whoa. became based on. Uh, Fletch Stormtail. So, like, uh, Genevieve's last name is Cloudstrike, and Koyrim's last name is Windspear, and all of these. What's Amara's? Amara's a high elf, so it's different. Oh, okay. 
Um, cause, cause, because Zabbis is a high elf and Zabbis's name is Zabless Kinlan. So I, I can't follow that same naming convention for high elves, uh, as wood elves, but the wood elves all have these kind of names like that, uh, because I liked Stormtail so much. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's become a, a kind of thing. And, and did Juno Greenpoint, great fantasy name, Zabbis Kinlan, great fantasy name, Flak Tansen, great fantasy name, everybody, Margarine Sticks, come on. <laughs> Uh, everybody did a great job with their names. Yeah, you, you know, you probably have. I mean, we'll we'll hear more about Marjorie eventually, but I think you might have the most fully realized character going in, at least going in. Um, and that's not a requirement. No, but that was fun for me. Yeah, to yeah, be yeah. able to have a full like well of things to pull from as yeah. a performer. Do you think that the? And I guess you kind of answered a little bit, but do you think that that helped you? Especially not as as an inexperienced D and D player that to draw on those things. I think it. I realized it limited me a little bit in that, as sure. uh, an improviser at the beginning, I would be so used to taking gifts that other people would give me and building out a character from there, and sort of having a loose sense of character and adding things on, which I think happened a little bit, but having such a clear idea made it so that having such a clear idea and having that clear idea be someone who like wasn't always about other people and was very independent anyway, I think it made it hard to go along with the group. And it was interesting as a storytelling, as a piece of storytelling, but I'm glad that eventually we could all get on the same page and Juno could, could find its place as another member of the group. Mm-hmm. Now that Juno has kind of gone on this journey where he, oh, oh, we should talk about the racism. Yes. Oh, yeah. I meant to, (laughs) yeah. So part of, part of the black and white thinking is definitely racism, which is not something I intended. You didn't see it as racism in the beginning, though. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so Joel. uh, (laughs) Identified too much with the character. Yeah. Joel came in. Uh, with a very kind of again, I think this came from the Aragorn inspiration. Yeah, I was definitely thinking yeah. in a Tolkien kind of world, just about clear lines. Yeah, I was like, oh, this the Dungeons and Dragons fantasy. It's like Tolkien. There is no representation in the in Tolkien's world for good orcs. I think so. I was like, oh, okay, at least not in that. Lord of the Rings. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came in with that and with this backstory, and then. Whoops, Gressel's telling a more complicated story than that <laughs> with complex emotions and dynamic, you know, character relationships. And not everyone is all bad. Not everyone is all good. There are grays. So I didn't want to just abandon this thing about Juno that I knew was like pretty flawed. So I, I was looking for opportunities in which I could... Well, I wasn't looking for opportunities to play the racism, as like <laughs> as happened in the shop. But I felt like I needed to be consistent, and then I was really trying to find times when it would be earned, where he could learn from that, grow and change. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad that, and everyone did so well in the tower at the beacon when we ran into those orcs who were just like just like anybody else, complaining about the you know the work that they're doing. That's one of my favorite moments of the back half of of the season. Is definitely that moment where Fletch and Flack challenge you uh challenge juno on <laughs> on his attitude towards orcs is so funny i was so happy 
to get there. But yeah, you're right. For a while, I was like, no, peace. Because <laughs> I wanted to defend like my child and his way of thinking. I was like, no, but they murdered his family. They're like, but those were specific orcs. These are different. I think that there's a lot of good conflict and storytelling that came from that, though, uh, in the way that the team, the rest of the team kind of challenged you on those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, was was really good, uh, you know, dramatic storytelling. Um, but other than just the attitude, other than just like you're a decent person and not <laughs> not a racist, uh, and having to kind of play this this character who has these these views, but but also as a player, not understanding that there were these shades in that world. What was that kind of realization like? Like when you first realized that orcs weren't just pure bad guys? Do you remember like when you was it the shop when you had that kind of real or was it earlier where you were like, oh, this isn't going to be that kind of thing? Uh, and like, what was it? Were you pan? Were you like, oh no, I've done this? Where I've made this this character who who has these kind of you know kind of gross attitudes? Or or were you ever like panicked about it? Or were you just like, well, this is my bed and I have to sleep in it now? I think it was. I think I did. I didn't consider that it was an issue until the shop. Yeah, because I was still of the mentality because I hadn't we hadn't met at any orcs other places. So I was like, oh no, okay, oh there are orcs nearby the city. Okay, those must be bad guys because mm-hmm. I had done my little walk around and sensed them. Yeah, so that could have been like a peaceful village for all you know. It wasn't. Yeah. It was the it was the beacon, but like. Yeah, it could have been, it could have just been like idyllic mountain town. I hope it was now. <laughs> so yeah, going into the shop, I like I think I play the shock because it's genuine. And then I realized we had a problem when especially everyone else in the group, like they were they already got it and I was like, "Oh no. They they are calling Juno out cuz this is this is not cool. I need to rethink about what's going on here." And then I then I got it. I was still defending him for a little while because like but this is his lived experience and like sure but he didn't it's 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 fine to have that be his experience but like he can learn he can learn better i i like that though i like i like the narrative that you created of his his growth and the way that the team challenged you and and listening to their opinion as people that you know cares about mm. and and you know i think that that was a, a really good thing that that came out over the course of the of the season and in the shop scene you do you can do something that was it made me laugh so hard when when I was editing the episode of when Wendell shows up and you're just totally cool with Wendell like like black dragonborn really scary guy like I, I think he's he he scared margarine and and flack if I remember right like with his like horrible visage and then you're just like hey guy what's up like yeah. <laughs> I I think that that choice was a really great way of kind of sticking your guns but still subverting those expectations mm-hmm. because you very easily could have just been a like all monsters are bad and anybody who's not like classic humanoid is bad but you stuck to you had the specific experience that clouded your judgment and then grew from that experience and new experiences yeah it's interesting to be in a position where some choices i am thinking about like I think that one was maybe sort of half thinking, half, half reacting. Yeah, half half instinct of what I feel like he would do, and I think some things like that. It's it's fun to be in a place where you're writing and performing the character at the same time, and you mm-hmm. don't necessarily know what's going to happen if you're 
like present enough in it. Like with saying that to Nails, like didn't know I was going to say that, <laughs> and I did, <laughs> and I regretted it. I mean, yeah, Joel did. Well, both of us did. <laughs> <laughs> no, Joel didn't. It was a good. It was a good, fun choice. I think what's been satisfying, in answer to your earlier question, is that if I am where I am, growing as a human, and if Juno is where he was at the beginning of the story and kind of hard to deal with, very judgmental, very independent, not great with people, and can grow sort of from a more perfection, like an extreme perfectionistic kind of way of thinking to where he is now, well, then there's, there's, that's a good example of how to do it. Like, there's hope for me too. (laughs) It's very satisfying to make it external and then see that growth happen. Not with this specific issue. Oh, yeah. No, I just meant overall <laughs> with yes. his way of being and yes. thinking and why he is the way he is. Yes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so going forward with, uh, into season two, um, now that you've kind of gone on this journey, um, to you know, kind of reacclimate Juno into society in a way. Like, you know, something that, that we talked about was that he's kind of, he, he like kind of isolated himself after the tragedy that happened in his hometown um, and went on this kind of solo quest of vengeance in a way. Uh, and then now he's opened himself up to something like, you know, his flirtatious relationship with Marjorie, for instance um how has how has Marjorie specifically let's talk about your relationship to the team uh kind of helped juno grow into where he is now what, what's juno's relationship with Mar- Marjorie? <laughs> i think it's been one of the ways that he's been able to open up a lot is accessing this part of his life that was gone for a very long time where any thing any consideration of flirtation of romance of sexuality was just gone from his life for 15 years and i think it's a revelation that Marjorie's whole vibe her sauciness her boldness uh is very attractive to juno and i think that relationship is at least platonic and i like that there's an attraction that if anything else just represents to him a connection to this part of life that he just sort of shut the door on. Mm-hmm. So there's openness there. And I think that they are 
good friends and who knows, maybe more. But <laughs> if, if nothing else, I think he's very thankful that someone like Marjorie has come into his life. One aspect of Juno that I think is really interesting as it relates to Marjorie is his bisexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, because Juno and Marjorie can have this kind of friends gossiping over over wine and ice cream thing about like other men in in their lives uh you know like raiding the team yeah. and you know like uh Yanathan or or Koyrim or some of these other men that come up in the store or Nils and and uh like um Sir Greg these other men that come up in the story um and then also have this weird nebulous flirtatious relationship where it's like well are they are they like bffs or is they are they will they won't they or or what is what is this thing uh and i think that extra layer of juno really makes that relationship interesting and also makes it interesting in in relation to the other members of the team too like with someone like um like flack i'm thinking about when you went off on the on, to be his wingman you know where you can have this thing where like, oh, Juno's just not interested because, <laughs> you know, like he's trying to be supportive because he's he doesn't care. Like he's not at all into, you know, into Genevieve or whatever, you know, and the the little moments that you do have with, with James, you and James play together really well. Um, and I think like that scene specifically was such a fun one to play around with. Um, but Juno and Flack haven't always had the best relationship um, because I think Flack and Marjorie have butted heads and Juno has kind of come come down more on Team Marjorie. Not that there's a divide, but what's like talk a little bit about like playing with James and, and what what Flack and Juno are dealing with going going into season two. Because there there are times where where you've been all like with the bone dice, there have been times where you've been all about it. And then there's time, you know, then there's times where you've been more Team Marjorie. So what what's Flack and Juno like? I was really excited when that opportunity presented itself first of competition when Genevieve was all about killing orcs. And, yeah. Yeah. And, that's the thing that you yeah. got. I loved that. And like, James was super it. into that. And he was just doing his best like, yeah, voice impression of there, Juno. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is so good. I, cause I mean, in a different scenario, an elf who's super into killing orcs would be attractive to Juno. But I was really excited to find a way because I think before that, Flack and Juno had butted heads a lot, partially because of Marjorie. Before that, I think just by temperament mm-hmm. and how much Juno was seemingly disruptive of plans or slowing things down. So it was exciting to me because I could finally get on the same page because I like playing with James like we play well and so I was excited that our characters could now play a bit Mm -hmm. so it was fun to support him and give him like more chances to do his thing and hopefully yeah I definitely was playing on team Marjorie over the like the Feywild. Feywild. Yeah. A little bit the bone dice, except for that time that I was like, You were yeah. just all about it. Yeah, yeah. I like had this look with James. We're like, yeah, let's roll it. And then I was like, oh wait, I forgot this character choice I made a couple months ago last session where <laughs> we said we wouldn't do that because it hurt Marjorie's feelings. Uh but yeah, I think so long as they're good, because they've talked mm-hmm. in the bag. If they're good, then if Marjorie's good, then I think hopefully Juno can be good. And I want to find ways 
with Flack and with Zavis and Fletch to help them like play their games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because James and Chelsea play a very different kind of game. Yeah, um, which is something that we'll talk about when we get to the Flack and Zavis episodes. Because Flack, I think, is very much a first thought, best thought kind of character, and Juno is a little bit more calculated. Uh, and that's you know that's I think that's great narratively. Uh, you're going to hear me say that a lot <laughs> uh, with conflict because that's what drama is. You we haven't Juno really hasn't had a, too much of an opportunity to have like you haven't really had your own you know, B story or whatever with Zabbis yet, because the most time that you spent with Zabbis, you were unconscious. Yeah. And yeah. I thought I saw an opening after the seven people were killed by the fireball where I wasn't, I know it read like I was trying to guilt Zabbis. Yeah, that's definitely how it read. <laughs> I thought it was like a Dexter scenario where it's like, I'll help you process <laughs> this thing inside you. Listen to your dark passenger. Yeah, and I was like, we can channel it. But uh, I think what came out of that was the only link I really have to Zabbis right now, which is just being his hype man, which I try and, whenever we meet someone new, I try and remember to talk Zabbis up because that's a, that's a thing that we agreed to. And yeah, I hope for a good Zabbis Juno adventure because I think that'd be uncomfortable, but I think something fun could come out of it. I also think it's it it's a fun dynamic in the sense of like, okay, if you if you take Zabbis as like a seventeen year old boy, uh, or like a you know a late teen boy, uh, and this like middle aged man of just like, there's no one less cool in the world <laughs> to Zabbis than Juno. Like, like Juno, you know, like made these this these series of fuck ups, and uh, you know, either by by chance or by you know an act of choice, and is also just like a like just a dude, yeah, you know, milk, like, yeah, I like mean, yeah, like not and not magic. I mean, kind of magic, but not really. But like, not interesting to Zabbis at all. And I think that that's such a fun. And now you're the one who's like. Isn't Zabbis so cool? And Zabbis is like, well, this, this dork is telling people that I'm. <laughs> I like that dynamic. Oh yeah, that that's a little bit of a dad thing, and I think I could play up more of Zabbis as in Juno's mind as like rebellious teenage son. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's something that maybe you could think about going into season two because, like, uh, you know, some people ask the question in our discussion episode that eventually you'll hear when we can get a chance to record it with everybody that people asked about, you know, what's the deal with Juno's son? Are we going to hear more about that? Um, and I think that that could be a way into that because exposition is hard in, in an audio medium because you're, you're everything we're doing is literally telling, not showing um, just by virtue of what this type of show is. Uh, but I think that that kind of maybe would be an in, you know, to, to talk about that. So you know, maybe think this is me with my director hat on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe think about that going into into season two. Uh, and then, of course, there's Fletch, who who has the most antagonistic, I think, relationship to Juno, outright antagonistic relationship to Juno yeah, which, from day one. Which is funny to hear you label that because I do, I don't think of it that way. It's one sided. Yeah, yeah. Like with Flack, there's specific things that Juno will get mad at him for, but with Fletch, it's just coming at him. From a place of, I don't know, maybe I'm a ranger and so I'm, I'm making rangers look bad or I'm just <laughs> generally like with Nils, like 
derailing possibilities. And I think I can understand how that's all, even from the beginning, just tracking this thing that he's been tracking for like two (laughs) weeks. I've been doing it for like five minutes. I'm messing shit up. But I think I want to develop a more specific relationship and have it, whatever it is, go two ways. But it'd be nice Mm -hmm. if we work together. Uh, Yeah, I think otherwise I'm just like reacting. We'll see what happens as far as what adventures you guys get into uh, in in season two. I I don't want it to seem like I don't want to give the listeners the impression that I'm going to start like pairing people off or anything like you guys are still going to, you know, to a certain extent run the story. Um, But, you know, it's, it's just when you are put in those situations. I want to, as since we are creating this, not just as a Dungeons and Dragons game, but as a story that we're telling to people, you know, this is, this is my, my direction as, you know, the runner of this show to kind of be like, oh, maybe think about reacting to these characters this way. Just, just to explain to the listener kind of like what this is. Yeah. And I love the way um, Beth plays Marjorie, where she's talked about this. I'm losing my voice as... Because we've had to do this three times this And I'm week. sick, so it could be that. But I don't know how to project, guys. I, it just comes from my throat. I know it's not good. Uh, she has intentionally specific emotional reactions to things that happen and thinks about Marjorie's relationships to each individual character and what she wants from them and what she wants generally. And I think I want to be thinking more like that. I think that's a fun way to play. And gives you more to work off of. Well, we'll we'll get to some uh we'll get to some kind of baseline character things that we, that you can always fall back to uh, that are actually built into the me- mechanics of the game, and we'll get to that in a couple minutes when we start to talk about your character sheet because that might actually have been part of the character creation process that you may have just skipped over completely. Oh. Yeah, uh, do you have any kind of thoughts about like where you personally want to take Juno in season two, or like things that maybe you hope? Uh, from a character perspective that you can get to or experience or, um, you know, anything like that. Like I already have, I already have at this point a a pretty solid outline of possibilities for the story. So I'm not going to change anything that I have planned based on what you say, just full disclosure. Um, But just, you know, out of curiosity of mine and and for the listeners, what do what do you want? uh, What do you want for Juno kind of going forward? I def- as the creator of Juno. Oh, yeah. I want him to continue on the journey that he's on of growth, not necessarily away from who he was, but continuing to be more open. And I think having had this dramatic experience with this team and with orcs again, the people who have been his sworn enemy for so long, I think he'll be thinking more about what gives his life purpose now and he'll be maybe trying new things to see what is fulfilling and satisfying i think it's still going to be part of his life that he wants to defend the oppressed and help people i think the how might be different but i don't necessarily know for him what that is and i think just as a way to play things it would be fun for him to you know maybe he's going to sidle up to other members of the team and think about like, well, how did they do things? Why mm-hmm. is that satisfying for them? What can I learn from them? And then he's, I think he'll start thinking about his own growth. Yeah. I think you've definitely kind of started that, uh, especially after the conversation in with the, the, about the orcs, 
that seemed like a real <laughs> big turning point for Juno. I'm so happy we we got there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I the way that the way that Mike and James picked up that ball and ran with it was just just sublime. Uh, I I think it's a great gift to the show and and to everybody's characters involved in that. But but let's now um talk specifically about the nuts and bolts character stuff for Juno. Uh, now that we've spent forty five minutes waxing poetic about the narrative, uh, let's let's get into the nitty gritty of what the gameplay aspects of Juno are. So when we started the game, um. I had sent a bunch of different character sheet options to the team because I knew that uh, Joel and Mike were were pretty much unexperienced with D&D. Beth said she had played once, and James and Chelsea had only played a few times with me, and we ran a really short campaign a few years ago. So I sent a few like homebrewed character sheets that I thought would make things easier to understand and didn't necessarily succeed in that endeavor. Everybody ended up having different character sheets and things weren't all in the same place. So they weren't I like the layout of this one. I understand the need for uniformity, but I like having ability scores across the bottom. I know well, it's going to be different. on the side. Yeah. It, you'll still, you know, it'll, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get everybody on the same page with character sheets. We're going to have everybody have the same one. We're going to use the D and D beyond. Uh, website which is a fantastic resource if you're a Dungeons and Dragons player uh, and we're we're gonna go from there so let's let's go through Juno from top to bottom uh, at, a, at a at a base level let's do a you know total diagnostic on your character here so Juno is a at the end of season one a level six human ranger uh, and you did the base human of uh, you get one plus one all ability scores in an extra language. That's the human racial bonus to start with from a, a gameplay perspective. And we're going to be using a lot of like D&D terms here for the next few minutes. So it might sound like gibberish to you if you don't have the experiment, if you don't have the experience. But uh, bear with us because there's going to be some some reasons, storytelling reasons behind all of these choices. So uh, one one thing I learned. Because I hadn't, I mean, it's been so long, but I realized in going over my racial abilities that I didn't give him that language before. So I think that's now going to be Elvish, which I don't think we've that really heard. That hasn't come up. Okay, good. Uh, Yeah, I don't think anybody's like, I don't think any of the elves have, if I remember right. And if, if, so. if I'm wrong, call me out, you know, tweet, tweet at the show. I don't think that's come up where anybody's... Sp- Spoke just plain elvish. But I think that would be fun if Zabbis or Fletch thinks they're having, either with each other or with someone else, thinks they're having a private conversation and Juno's just like, oh, I know. I know. Sure. And and in this world, elves are common enough where, yeah. you know, you would know at least like a, a form of wood elvish. So that makes sense. So we did that. You are a ranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, at level six. So as a ranger, you get you start with certain skill proficiencies uh, which you chose from the available options, stealth, perception, and nature. Yes. Uh, which all of those have come up. You've made many stealth checks, many perception checks, many nature checks. Well, several nature checks. So all of those ended up being good choices. And then, of course, your favorite enemy, uh, which you chose orcs, and you had the backstory reason for doing that, um, which ended up 
being great, you know. Uh, Did you choose them because I chose them, or were they going to be in there anyway? I've never. They asked were going to be in there anyways. Oh. They're they're a good base monster to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a little bit more robust than goblins or kobolds or something like that. Um, so when you guys did get to a little bit higher level, I could throw groups of them at you without them being dangerous, too dangerous, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and that was always kind of my plan. There, there's a bigger, there's bigger picture stuff at play that I'm not going to spoil, obviously. But um, it was always the plan before Juno. It was always the plan that there would be orcs as a kind of group threat because. They're a good base monster. I mean, they're 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 the cliche fantasy monster for a reason, you know. Should have chosen men made of bats, <laughs> eat skeletons. Yes, uh, that 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 has yet to be revealed. The reasons of of Zemem. That very general category. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so yes. So orcs are your favorite enemy. Yeah, and with that, I know orcish. Yes, and I have some advantage on intelligence checks to recall info about them, and wisdom checks, uh, which I've never done to track them. And now, since I'm at a certain level at greater favorite enemy, I do plus four damage to them whenever I roll damage. Is that true? Yeah. We'll see about that. It says, because it, it's plus two in favorite enemy, greater favorite enemy says plus four to both things that you choose. Oh. That's a lot. Well, yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Uh okay so there's the uh there's the natural explorer thing which is your favorite terrain. So you get two favorite terrains now at the level that you're at. The first one was obviously forest um which came into play uh when you were walking through the forest and both you and Fletch and Flack were all very excited that you had advantages in the forest that didn't really relate to gameplay but nonetheless <laughs> Uh, what your first favorite terrain was forest, and then you get to choose a second one, um, based on the level that you're at now, and uh, you chose desert. So why desert? Uh, in the backstory for Juno, I have that when he was in his twenties, he did mandatory, uh, like kingdom soldier service for uh his now defunct, now gone away kingdom where he was stationed in a desert mostly for five years. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome that there's this kind of like foreign legion aspect to that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so desert, that's really cool. Um, you got a fighting style and you chose dueling, uh, which gives you a plus two bonus to damage rolls when you are wielding one melee weapon and no other weapons, uh, which now that you have the side of the times you're pretty much married into using that i mean you're not married into it but that's your weapon of choice yeah it does a lot especially if i'm fighting orcs but <laughs> i can add a lot to it. i can add my decks i can add the dueling no no we talked wait we what? talked about this thought it was one-handed one da it's not plus decks, one. it's a strength weapon oh well okay it's it's that's the not same. it's They're not a finesse right weapon now. okay it is a strength. versatile weapon it's a ma- oh it's a versatile yeah, not melee. It's a. Verse. It is melee, it's, which it's is any hand to hand weapon. Oh. But there's finesse weapons that can use your dex bonus, which got is it. like a rapier or a short sword. So you used to have a short sword, and that's where I think you got the dex part confused. Yes, I think I got it back now. Marjorie got another one from Fletch. Yeah, so who? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was supposed to come with two, I think, and I did. I only took one. 
you're whatever. I, I I can't imagine a situation where you would ever use it again. But yeah, it's you have good. it. Yeah, uh, I can throw it at someone. That'd I guess, be fun. I guess you you. I guess technically you could. Uh, and then so you have ranger spells. We'll talk about those in a little bit. Uh, and then you chose hunter as your uh you know your ranger subclass. Uh, so you get a uh bonus feature at third level. You got a bonus feature, and you chose horde breaker, which we've seen come into play a few times. Uh, to great effect a few times. Yeah, um, people, they keep standing next to each other and it doesn't go well for them. Which is, oh, I guess I should say it because who who knows Horde Breaker? Who doesn't know Horde Breaker? Horde Breaker is basically where if someone, if an enemy is standing within five feet of another enemy I've just attacked, I can attack them too. And it it can't double with uh, a second attack, but since I'm at fifth level as a ranger, I got the second attack, yes. and it means effectively, if playing the cards right, I could do three attacks. Yes, but no more than three. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, there's primeval awareness. So let's talk about primeval awareness. <laughs> Your favorite thing that I can do. Uh, when, we, <laughs> when we started playing, Wizards had yet, the company that, that runs Dungeons & Dragons, had yet to weigh in on a revised ranger that they had released for kind of like playtest purposes. Uh, and I had sent to Mike and Joel the revised ranger unearthed arcana option. And then over the course of us playing, Wizards was like, no, this isn't real anymore, which doesn't really matter for the, the, the purposes of our game, except for the fact <laughs> that primeval awareness is stupid. In the in the revised it's range, it's so good. the The five miles thing and the numbers and the direction is batshit. I got to know everything. Um, so we're not going to do that <laughs> because it it's not fun from a storytelling perspective. And I was resistant because I got to do it before, and I want to keep doing it. But no. now that now that he's softening on his racism, now that he's understanding. <laughs> them as other like sentient beings who have their own lives, make their own choices. I think that I'm good with, if there's a narrative reason to change this, there there's a couple narrative reasons to, to change this one that you just said that, Juno is starting to think of works as, as people a little bit more than he, he did when we first met him. And then another reason that we're going to get to in a minute, um, I think it totally makes sense for this specific ability to kind of wane a little bit in potency. So we have kind of devised a little bit of a homebrew compromise for what primeval awareness can do. Uh, and I hope you wrote this down from I did. the other night. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what was our compromise of what your primeval awareness ability will be going forward? And, and this will apply to Mike uh, as well. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make him more powerful in this specific aspect because that's not fair. Since you guys are both rangers, it has to kind of be a little bit um, equal. But he's also never used that. Yeah. So I, I don't think he'll be too upset if I nerf him a little bit. But what what is the compromise for what's, what prime what's nerfing? Is that ba bad or good? What's nerfing again? Nerfing is making something less powerful. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So with this narrative change for Juno, he spent 15 years obsessively focused on hunting orcs now he sees them as people i think it's naturally going to ebb a little bit and probably i'm going to be using that ability less less obsessively checking so 
The new primeval awareness is for one minute. I can sense the presence of orcs, just whether or not there are any in the span of a mile. I won't get direction. I won't get number. I'll just get yes or no presence within a mile. Yes. I've agreed to this, and I think it is good. Great. Because it creates narrative tension that I like. So that's what we're going to do with primeval awareness going forward. Uh, and it's a little bit of a homebrew twist. Um, so then uh, you got an ability score improvement. We talked a little bit about uh, off mic about what your ability score improvement should be. And we're retconning a little bit um, because, again, we didn't talk too much about leveling up when we were going through it because of time, mostly. Leveling up is a time-consuming process that you go through when you play this game. And because we were recording it for the show and most of the time it happened while people were off on their own and I wasn't around, you just made choices. Ability score improvement. I get to choose two abilities and increase them by one. I'll, you know, And you chose to kind of even them out. Yeah, I wanted to be a really well-rounded ranger. And when we recorded on Tuesday, you were like, that's dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, that's not, a, that's not a smart way to, to utilize your... your uh, abilities to play the game well. Yeah, and that's because the things that my like spells will rely on the most to boost their numbers will be specific modifiers like wisdom yes. or attacks will specifically rely on dex so, or on strength. strength. So leaning into those, and even though I might want... Because I think that like these have to do with character, which they don't necessarily. They don't. Yeah. Well, I'm just like, but I want to be smarter. I'll increase intelligence. I want to be charming. I'll increase charisma. Like those, strategically, they don't make as much sense. No, they don't. And your abilities aren't necessarily your personality. I mean, if you have an eight intelligence, you kind of should play a dumb character mm-hmm. a, a little, a little bit, or at least a you know a. a a, a brash character maybe or something like you, you know you're not going to be solving puzzles necessarily if you have a low intelligence that low of an intelligence score but going from a 12 to a 13 doesn't make a difference uh in terms of like how you're going to play your character so we're going to retcon a little bit and instead of what you did which was bump your intelligence uh, intelligence and charisma. and charisma score up by one each we're going to bump your strength score up by two so that you end up with a better strength score that increases your modifier to the point where you have a better um to hit bonus and damage bonus with the scythe of the times yep because that's going to be your primary weapon that's how you're going to do the damage that's what juno is going to do more than most things uh is is slash at things with this weapon that he has uh so that's what we're going to do is we're going to bump up your strength score by two. And that was a level four uh, increase uh, at level five. You got an extra attack. And then at level six, you get a second favorite enemy. And we were talking about this a little bit off mic uh, over the last couple days of what this second favored enemy will be, because Juno hasn't really had, you know, another traumatic experience in the same way as he did with with orcs um where it makes sense for his first favorite enemy to be orcs but now that um you know he's he's gone on these adventures that we've heard on the podcast what is juno's second favorite enemy gonna be 
his second favorite enemy will be because of his experience with Jeremy, the <laughs> owlbear, uh, those mutant monster pigs and the displacer beast, it will be monstrosities. Yes, I think this is a great choice. Uh, I think that all of that makes narrative sense. Uh, the owlbear was obviously important for a couple of reasons. Uh, it ended up being Jeremy. <laughs> and um, the displacer beast was a the, the kind of weirdest thing, I think, that you guys encountered. Well... The pigs were weird. Yeah. Yeah. And the Cyclops was weird, but you didn't really fight that. No, I didn't really get to know him. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the Displacer Beast was weird. So I think that that probably left an impact on Juno. Yeah, I think of the things that we've been fighting, I think he doesn't like these. The weirdness? Yeah, the, the, weird, the weirdness is weird. Uh, but hey, if you can have terrifying actual monsters... Who are actually oh, sure. evil because he tried to talk to the Displacer Beast. That's true, he did. And, 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 and was, the Displacer Beast was mean to Juno. Yeah, it was not nice. <laughs> it wanted to, wanted to kill him. Yes. So this seems like a, though Jeremy turned out to be nice, this seems like a permissible space in which to <laughs> take out rage or act with righteous uh, violence. Yeah, uh, I think that this is a, a great choice um, for... Juno monstrosities monstrosities um encompass a lot of different monsters um including owl bears the displacer beast it can it's also things like minotaurs um so there's going to be a lot of different options and different ways that you can encounter uh monstrosities i will say if you want to use your primeval awareness you are going to have to specify if you are looking for orcs or monstrosities sure yeah. Um, and also, I think I'm going to have to say that you're going to have to look a little bit more specifically than just broadly monstrosities, mm. um, because there are so many. Yeah, I'll have to name a specific one or a specific kind. You'll at least have to narrow it down, and this we'll have we'll probably cross okay. this bridge when we get to it. But it, it, you can't just be like monstrosities because you know there could be something that has nothing to do with you guys near you know nearby, and and that could skew things completely. So. It'll be a little bit case by case, and and we'll cross our bridge when we get to it. But I'm just going to say now that for the record, you're going to have to be a little bit more specific than just monstrosities. Okay. Uh, and then you get another language. So we talked a little bit about this off mic as well as to the reasons why uh, Juno would pick his second language, or I guess third language for you to know. Um, yeah. Besides fourth counting common, common and elvish now yep. and orcish. Yep. Uh, I I was thinking a lot about Draconic because I think we had a situation back in the swamp where none of us knew no Draconic. No one knew Draconic, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I couldn't get there because... A, a narrative reason why Juno would know Draconic. Yeah, it seems yeah. a lot more plausible that he would try and pick up Sylvan based on hearing the maze yep. speak and mm-hmm. that being so close to nature. Yeah, uh, Sylvan was the language that Koyrim used for his prayers, and, and mm-hmm. Balik used as well. I think mm-hmm. for his uh, his cleric spells. Um. So yeah. So that's that's your level six ranger. So that takes you that t- gets us up to speed as to what your abilities, uh, that you get from your class and race are at this point. Um. Now that you've completed uh this quest and we've gotten to the end of season one, we are now going to move up to level seven to start season two. You have a choice at this point. You can either take 
a seventh level of ranger, or as you, as I said to all of you, whenever we leveled up, you can multi-class. What would you like to do? There is not much at <laughs> the seventh level of ranger, so I will multi-class. Dun dun dun! You're the first one to take this option. Multi-classing for anybody who doesn't know is you're. You're a multidisciplinarian now. You're going to learn new abilities from a new class and start at level one in that class. You keep all of your old abilities. You're still a level six ranger. Um, but now, instead of taking the seventh level, you are now going to take one level of cleric. Cleric. Uh, and why cleric? Clerics are um, warrior priests kind of in D&D. So why are you choosing cleric? Partly because I think it makes narrative sense, partly because it is now a strategic choice because different classes, as I was doing reading about optimizing your multi-class character, uh, different classes will use different ability modifiers as their primary source of being good at stuff. And I want to choose one that would lean into, if not the exact same, then some of the same ones that I'm already boosting because ranger stuff relies on them. So wisdom, strength, dexterity, those are, dexterity and wisdom especially, those are friendly to cleric. Yes. And something like barbarian or bard wouldn't make as much narrative sense and no. they wouldn't lean on the same number scores I'm already good at. So... I think that given Juno's experience in the bone dice portal session with the with seeing his god from his kingdom, the great heifer, and being gifted with this milk that years before had saved his life, uh, he's going to develop a closer relationship, maybe one that's not fully... I don't know if he's going to... I don't think he chooses to be a cleric now. I read in the cleric section that this, if narratively, it could be a choice that the deity makes and you're compelled into service. That's not going to be Juno, but I think that he's going to have a little bit of a complicated relationship questioning, like, why am I being gifted with these powers now? I really could have used them before Mm -hmm. when my family was dying. And he wasn't especially religious, I think, but I think that if the Great Heifer is all about like nourishment and life and like agriculture, community, that makes sense for Juno to be a life domain cleric. Great. Uh, I think this is a great choice. Um, I think you've definitely made the best possible choice for multiclassing given where you are already. And also from a narrative perspective, uh, all, for all the reasons that you said. And also you've had now, uh, and I was looking up stuff, so forgive me if you mentioned this, but you've also had an, another encounter with divine entities. Oh, yeah, the the two moms, the we moms, call them. Yes. Um, as, far as, you, as far as you know, divine entities. Uh, so you've had this kind of almost proof, you know, of, yeah. of something, you know, greater than yourself. Uh, and that totally tracks for me of what we know of Juno, that he's maybe searching for greater meaning and a new way to um, continue this quest of helping people and things like that. Uh, so that I think you've made an excellent choice. So there's some, so there's some new cleric abilities that we're going to go over 
Um, you get proficiency with with heavy armor now, which is something that you didn't have before, um, even though you don't have heavy armor yet. But if you come across the option to wear something like plate armor or something really heavy, you, you now can. Um, you get cleric spells, uh, access to cleric spells that you wouldn't have uh and there's a there's some overlap with ranger spells there there there's some divine overlap uh divine spell overlap but you're gonna have access to different things that you wouldn't have and more um clerics are full casters rangers are not they're kind of half casters um so you get cantrips you get spells you know you get a lot more spell options um your spell casting ability is still wisdom like you mentioned uh so there's overlap there which is great and life is a is a cool choice because you you know you get some that's all about like healing and helping and things like that um which like you mentioned makes perfect sense for the experiences that Juno has had um so let's let's go ahead and level you up i've put all of the i've i've put into the the site here D&D Beyond not a sponsor but just a good product <laughs> that you're going to be a level 6 ranger and a level 1 cleric so you now need to roll and this is this is what this is what ruined us on on the other night when we were recording because i had to get up get to get dice to no roll one's getting out it's all here it's all here already and i i yanked the cord so it's all here no one is getting up no one's moving roll a d8 and this will be your new level seven health oh great it's a seven it's so a seven four at roll. 45 you have 54 actually oh i do yep i got yeah. extra well, the way the the way that it's calculated is it's what you rolled plus your constitution bonus. Oh, um, yeah. So just two makes sense to me. So, yeah. Uh, so you're at fifty four total uh, health points, but that is I will just say that it is out of a total possible eighty two. Oh, yeah. So not, some of those rolls weren't um, weren't the best, but you're at fifty fifty four uh, maximum hit points. There's one more thing we got to resolve. I've put in the equipment that we know you to have. Mm-hmm. Your shield that you got from Malik, the Scythe of the Times, the lasso that you got from Malik. That is all stuff that I've put in here. And then anything else, you you know, minor stuff, potions and things like that. You can migrate over from your old uh, character sheet. Uh, but there is one more thing we got to resolve, which is your background. And this is something that I think that you just didn't do. Before. Wait, I think we might have done it. Maybe. Well, okay. Yeah. So, Juno is a soldier background. I chose soldier dash scout. That would have been your rank, maybe? I think, or the kind of soldier I was? Yeah, because as uh, as a soldier, you get uh, you get some skill. Pr- all the backgrounds, this is a great feature in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, uh, you get a couple skill proficiencies with your background, which for you is athletics and intimidation. Yes. I don't think I've used intimidation, but now, I mean, I had it marked as proficient before, but mm-hmm. I'm going to try and remember to use it because that could be fun. You're also proficient in vehicles. Yes, in land vehicles. Land, oh, which is why you were not good at yeah, flying the... I was trying to to make an analog. I was like, this is, this is a land, this is a car. <laughs> like a, it's, it's like that, but flying in the air. Uh, you get a gaming set. This is just oh. something that you get. Oh, I'm, we've t- uh, we've we talked have about talked about this. Yeah, it. I think maybe a little bit of it got cut, but when we initially thought that the bone dice portal just led back to the inn, I was gonna leave my deck of, oh, cards, your deck of cards with cows right, right, right. on them yes. from my hometown, right. in there, and then 
we would go back and find them again, but then we just got sucked in. Uh, great. Okay. So then the next part, the, the, this is, this is the suggested, suggested characteristics. Uh, and this is a great feature that I really like in fifth edition where it's, if you're not, you know, a super experienced writer or, or, you know, storyteller or whatever, or character creation isn't necessarily something you're super interested in or role playing is, is new or, or difficult for you. Uh, these are suggested characteristics that you can use to fall back on for your role playing for decisions that your character can can make. Do you have these anywhere? I do have. Okay, these. so which ones did you choose? So I don't have to list all of these. Yeah. So there are two boxes, but I think I chose three. Okay. And reading this now, this is what I wrote down. This like is this is where Juno started. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it holds up for how I played it. So for traits, I have. I can stare down a hellhound without flinching. I've lost all my friends and family, and I'm slow to trust. I say bluntly what other people are hinting or hiding, which I think was not necessarily always from, like, courage, but not understanding of social cues. Uh, do you have an ideal written down? Independence. <laughs> Just in de- Okay, great. Yes. Independence is on here. Okay, cool. Do you have a bond? I do. I okay. fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Great choice. Uh, and then do you have a flaw? Yes. My hatred of my enemies is blind and unreasoning. Yep. That sounds like Juno. <laughs> yeah, this stuff holds up. Okay, so alignment. Um, alignment, people get real hung up on alignment. We got some questions about, like, what alignment is everybody, every character? I don't want to paint you guys into a box, so this doesn't really matter too much. So, do you want to put lawful good, chaotic good? Juno's good. He's a good guy. Yeah, I would. I guess chaotic good. Let's do that, just for you know, whatever. Faith, um, the great heifer, right? Is yeah, he's more spiritual than religious. Uh, I don't know exactly. Spoiler alert! I haven't exactly crafted the full faith of the great heifer, but. I'll have fun doing that. <laughs> what, what rituals they performed in his kingdom. Sure. Um, and then um, you come from a modest lifestyle. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave most of it to, to come out at appropriate times. But yeah, it was an agricultural background, small town. Actually, there yeah. is one other thing that we what? have to do. Spells. Oh, yeah. Do you want to know about my cleric spells or my ranger spells? What do you want to know? Um, well... We're going to manage all your spells. Okay. Well, let's start with the ranger spells. So here, here's what I had of your known spells. Alarm. You've set, an, you've set alarm before, and these can change at any point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hunter's Mark, uh, Pass Without Trace, and then you get one other one. Do you know necessarily what other spell, what other known spell you, you had prepared or want to prepare, or it doesn't really matter uh, right now? Let's see. In times past, I have used speak with animals but then i realized that i don't necessarily need to have that one prepared because and i wasn't playing this before but with uh natural explorer maybe not natural explorer with primeval awareness i just have an innate ability to communicate with beasts who see me as a kindred spirit and i can read basic mood and intent let me know if this is a thing we need to modify but apparently i can communicate simple ideas with sounds and gestures I can learn its emotional state, whether it is affected by magic, short-term needs, and actions, if any, that I can talk, I can persuade it to not attack. I think that's natural. 
or okay can i make a suggestion oh what's your suggestion uh either dark vision because you don't naturally have it oh that's a good one yeah or silence oh silence is good too yeah those are situational things that i think would be interesting or find traps find traps is good uh i'm gonna put down dark vision for now okay great now cleric spells yeah you get three cantrips uh, and four prepared spells. And we don't necessarily have to get into all, I know what they are. Their, oh, you know, great. Okay, what are your cantrips? <laughs> My cantrips are going to be Spare the Dying. Great. What uh, Spare the Dying is touch a living creature that has zero hit points and that creature becomes stable. Great choice. Yeah, I won't have to use up my special milk so often. Mm-hmm. And I think we can always use more healing on our team. Yes, I think that's a good uh, good choice. What else? Uh, I was going to go for another attack, but then I realized, oh, this would just be practical in another sense. I'm going to go with light. Sure, yeah. Light um, it just creates a magical light in a 20-foot radius, right? Yeah, yeah. it'll last for a long time, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, an hour. Yeah, and then uh, thaumaturgy. Thaumaturgy is cool. Thaumaturgy is kind of, a lot of stuff uh, like minor illusion a little bit, like... Uh, you you manifest a minor wonder, a sign of supernatural power within range, and create one of the following effects. And there's a list of effects. Yeah, my I, voice can boom. Yeah, or the ground can shake. Uh, you can create a sound. Um, okay, and then you've got your level one uh cleric spells. So you always have bless and cure wounds prepared. That's your life cleric, uh, domain bonus. Those are always ready, which is great. Uh, so you get four other ones. So what are those choices? Yeah, so between my cantrip of spare the dying and cure wounds, I'm going to be trying to heal people. And the same goes with healing word, which I can, I don't have to touch someone. I can just look at them and give them a boost of like 1d4 plus my something modifier, wisdom. Yep. So that'll be helpful in battle. And shield of faith which gives them uh, plus two to AC and like a shimmering shield around them. Yeah, great buff spell. Guiding Bolt, which will do radiant damage. Very exciting. Uh, 4d6 radiant damage, which is a good hit. Nice. Yeah. And then Command, which I think Flack has used before. I get to Mm -hmm. say one word to someone, and if they don't save on a mm-hmm. on a throw. They have to, on the, the beginning of their next turn, they have to execute that command. So a little bit of charming magic there too. So Yeah, I figured that'd be fun and useful. Yeah, yeah, that's very exciting. So Juno is ready. Juno is ready for season two. I'm excited to see the new and improved Juno in action. Uh, and now, especially with a character sheet where all of your abilities and things are easily accessible to you. Uh, so I will email you this character sheet um, so that you can add the extra things that you have, potions, you know, stuff like that to it. Um, it is a fillable PDF, so you can do that and have everything, keep everything clean and nice. Yes. Uh, and yeah, we'll go from there. We will start up again with season two in November. Uh, then there will be another one of these character episodes coming Next time, uh, I'm not sure exactly who it's going to be yet. It's going to depend on schedules, but it will be one of the team, obviously. Uh, and then sometime before season two starts, we're going to do the discussion episode again. We just have to get everybody together when uh, when everybody's available and not have some technical problems. 
Uh, so yeah, be sure to follow us on social media at dndndpod on Twitter and dndndpod on Instagram, or email us at dndndpod at gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening to season two, season one, and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let us know if you liked hearing this discussion. Tweet at us uh, or email us if you enjoyed listening to all about Juno. Uh, we'll get all about someone else next time when we have D and D and D table for two other character yeah <laughs> uh so thank you joel for sitting down and talking about juno with me thank you and you're welcome i may maybe my losing my voice steadily over this because i have a cold is actually just me getting getting coarser, character yeah for... and and lower to get juno back yeah well i'm excited he's for coming it. he's coming uh november stay tuned uh so thanks everybody until then do what's fun do what's fun